0: Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty, I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here with architect Chris Gilbert, who's a director of Archia, and also uh, John Caitler, who's a landscape architect, and both of them uh, studied at RMIT, but both of them are kind of quiet achievers, doing um, very bespoke work and being very careful in terms of the projects they take on. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning. Um, let's start with the sawmill house, because I think that's really where you got a bit of notice. Uh, Kevin McLeod, the presenter of Grand Designs in the UK, said it was one of his favourite buildings. I, When I saw it for the first time, I really is quite beautiful. Tell me a little bit about that before we proceed to where you've gone to.
1: Yeah, so that was a house that uh, my brother and I, Ben Gilbert, um, built together as a project to see what would happen when an artist and an architect kind of collaborate literally like together um on site so there was very few plans for that building and we built it as a conversation between the, the two of us um so it kind of organically grew out of that conversation and it was a bit of a healing process my brother and I had a a, a um interesting upbringing together (laughs) so it was a way of kind of reconnecting after he'd spent some years overseas um and in it was supposed to be therapeutic it went the other direction for a little while there but um the outcome was something quite special and the relationship that it created between us was special why well. do you,
0: why do you think it got so much attention? It was very simple, but quite complicated. Yeah. Why do you think it was? It touched a nerve. Was it just that people were looking at it and saying, "It's so stripped back and
1: honest"? Maybe. Yeah. That's that's potentially part of it. Like also, like we did it in complete isolation, and we would do, we we kind of built it as a conversation rather than a reaction to trends or fashion. Um, so it was a really like honest like. Display of our values, um, rather than like trying to follow, you know, what the latest kind of color palette was, and I feel like that the Australianness of it, the kind of because it was obviously. It tell had, me,
0: talk me through. is that uh, brass or copper? Um, kitchen
1: yeah Hmm. copper a brass kitchen because he wanted a material that he could potentially rip off and sell in the future if he needed to he wanted something that would gain in value rather than lose value which was pretty interesting and then it was built out of quite solid um one ton concrete blocks that were reclaimed from um the local concrete plant so it kind of had that kind of rustic feel i think people liked the fact that it was using something that you know would have been essentially like a, a, a waste product, um, so it was kind of upcycling that. But it also spoke, like, every, everything in it was very textual and rich um, while being quite crisp. So it was, I think, it was that combination of, like, this when raw Victorian... You,
0: um, Chris and John, when you...
1: oh, when you, Well, you create this with your brother, but when yeah. you
0: produce something as fine as that and won a number of awards for memory, mm. um, do you kind of expect people to kind of repeat you repeat that style and people get in touch with you and say we want that we, does it happen we do get that
2: a lot uh, you want that house well,
0: but there was a guy in the states
2: who effectively mm. wanted to rebuild it in i forget where he was from but he literally wanted to license it and rebuild it verbatim mm. because he just loved the love the execution of it but i think
0: but you won't do that
2: well, we were open to it at the time, actually. We were pretty pretty keen, but it, it just didn't pan out. Um, and more because we wanted to document it properly the second time around. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, as Chris is sort of saying, there is a joy in the kind of roughness of the building, but the elegance of the plan. Uh, like, those two things, like, really work off each other.
0: And yeah. in the case of the sawmill house, very much the outside was part of the, you know, was a very lovely... Uh, junction between the interior and exterior where you just kind
1: of found yourself outside? Mm. Yeah, it was kind of designed to be like a habitable deck, really, Mm. and um, because Ben loves sleeping under the stars. He's a bit of a gypsy and uh, was trying to allow for that kind of lifestyle. Um, It's changed now because he has a family and there's four of them living in there. But um, it was, you know, it was tailored for... You know, an eccentric artist. And yeah, It was also
2: that, more like a refined version of the house he already lived in as well, yeah. which basically was this openable box. Yeah. It was glazed on three sides, it's a
0: tool sharpening shed, and in, with some glass. And on in it. summer,
2: it was just one wall. Yeah, like you just lived in it with the glass um, open. Yeah.
0: So you've done a number of great little projects that I've seen uh, recently. One was a renovation to a a period home in Coburg. Mm. Tell me about that, because again, very simple materials, timber battens, a lot of black. Black.
1: Yeah, T- Tanya, the client, approached us. She was interested in um, an addition that connected her to her garden in a different way. She didn't want just to have a lens out into the landscape. She wanted to be within um, the garden, which was interesting, because the, the garden was essentially when she first purchased the property, mainly concrete, but a few amazing fig trees. And over the time that um, they've owned it, they started to strip out the concrete and really, you know, um, revitalise this little pocket in Coburg. Um, uh, so the question then became, like, how do you, how do you inhabit that, like, an urban setting, without just creating a lens to that? Confined landscape or that confined garden. Um, so we will, the strategy was to create a completely kind of glass lantern that sits inside this kind of fertile green landscape um, and use materials that were quite robust. She has three boys, three young boys, so she wanted a house that was um, that didn't have any plasterboard in it, that could take a hit um, and would really. Um, like last the test of time so the material response was partly that and partly um, a desire to create something that um, was again texturally rich but sharp.
0: Um, John being a landscape architect how do you approach something like the Coburg House? Do you kind of you know does, is it a matter of Chris and his and others kind of creating the form and then you come in afterwards or are you there from the outset kind of working out exactly where you think the structure should be
2: well'm I'm, I'm very lucky because I I don't have to be the biggest advocate for landscape in the studio which is great um, so I think you know Chris with the sawmill house like already had an understanding of how like landscape and architecture for like a space to be kind of truly transformative like those two things need to be in unison and so you know all of our work relies really heavily on the borrowed landscape and we just try and accentuate the connection between the two wherever we can and Mm. i think that's a great example harry house has this really great tie to the existing landscape and then we just sort of tweaked the interfaces because there was like the bones of a really nice garden there already it's just how you kind of interact inside and outside and how you extend those spaces in summer and Mm. then Chris often talks about the idea of inhabiting those spaces, you know, when you're not sort of either outside or the weather doesn't permit it. So having that kind of, you know, terrace space or garden space that mentally, you know, extends the room and is Mm. brought into the kind of the living zone, like that that makes a house feel bigger than it is. And I think that's what Harry House does so well. It's a tight little family, you know, space when you measure it out yeah but it feels massive because it's double height and the you know the garden is kind of brought all the
0: way in yeah you're you've just finishing or you've just completed a house in Battery Point in Hobart mm. very strict heritage controls Mm. Probably most architects would run a mile if, they were, if a client rang up from that area because it's almost a no-go zone. Yeah, yeah. What was your reaction when you first met the client in Battery Point? For those who don't know it, it it's really is one of the most important uh, heritage areas in Hobart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What was your thoughts and what was the house like originally?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually... The house is really... The existing um, cottage is really interesting. It's the old um, milk distribution cottage. Yes. So uh, it's unique as far as its offset... Either side, the existing building is offset from the boundary on either side to allow the horse and cart to go in one side, pick up the milk and come out the other. So it was a really unique situation for Battery Point because it's extremely dense. Very tight. Mm. Very tight, yeah. And the topography is interesting as well, so that plays with things. But um, this block, offset from either boundary, quite flat because of the horse and cart, um, and quite large, which again is very unique for that area. Um, So... As soon as we saw it, we're like, well, we're very fortunate to have this opportunity, um, and we you know, it's a real gift to be given an opportunity to execute a piece of work within that area. Um, but from the very beginning, we knew that we it needed to be a hidden house. It needed to be um, completely. Um, well, that was a given. You couldn't yeah. you
0: couldn't mm. you wouldn't be able to show anything that was even remotely contemporary from the street, I would imagine.
1: That's it. So it had to be one level, it had to be quite low lying. But what we did then is use kind of existing um, boundary walls from other properties to kind of build right to the boundary and then all of the um, external space to the building is actually within a courtyard within the house. So we kind of built to the perimeter and other centers this kind of green little oasis
0: really mm. um is it but, still quite a small house uh, no <laughs>
2: <laughs> not for two people <laughs> um yeah no
1: i think it's probably over it's over, it's well over 200 yeah i think the extension 200 is, square meters yeah so
2: think, that's
0: probably an average size family home but big for yeah So i think the yeah. extension
2: is 180 plus oh, or more, 70 or something yeah, yeah yeah so it's quite it is quite big yeah, um, it's effectively a four-bedroom house.
1: Yeah, it is. But a very, I mean, we feel very privileged to have the opportunity to build there and con- to contribute something of value that will age. It was really important that we um, designed something that was going to um, age with the place rather than just represent like a piece of like fashionable. Or clothing for a cottage. You were
0: mentioning before, before I talk about this beach house you've mm. just finished in Plinter's, you don't look at magazines generally. Mm. No. You don't look at social media. No. Um, is it because you don't want to be distracted and what what's the reason? Because, yeah. you know, most I th- people do. I, th- I think look we feel like we don't have a style,
2: which is a funny thing to say because a lot of people probably recognize us like very, very obviously from something like the Small Mill House and would say, I oh, know we have a kind of really rugged sort of like way of building, yeah. which is probably not untrue. But I think we're more interested in building systems and building processes and how our buildings look kind of fall out of that. And yeah. and almost each one is a like a research project unto itself. And, and Small Mill kicked off this um small mill sawmill, sawmill <laughs> kicked off small mill which is yeah. another story but yeah. Yeah. we we kind of went through this phase of you know investigating like uh you know material efficiencies and construction effic- efficiencies and they get revealed in the building so it's a lot
0: more work isn't it if you treat everything like a research project rather than because a lot of architects what they do is they develop something that's great and yeah. then they kind of Feed that through, and you see that example used through a number of yeah, projects because yeah. it's taken them so much research and development to get to that point. If you're actually researching everything from scratch, doesn't I, I, it just I make feel we it's all, more evolutionary? Yeah, I think
2: we don't good. we don't chuck out the knowledge from one project and start again, it, it sort of feeds into the next and it, it yeah, builds.
1: It's all building to something which by hopefully by the end of next year we'll have something interesting to come in and share with you, which yeah. will be which will be exciting. But um, it's all working to a goal, to an eventual outcome. So each project is testing a slight variation of a solution or a methodology, which will result in this thing that we're calling Small Mill.
0: Do you, do you tend to change direction through a project or, you know, so things kind of move around a bit, or is it very much... The concept is established from the outset, and then you don't Mm. deviate from that.
2: I mean, we we have in the past, but it's usually either been like through necessity because like a circumstance or situation has fundamentally shifted, um, or it could be budgetary. We've had a couple of projects where we've lost builders, you know, all the way right up until the end, and we've had to pivot. But I think generally we're pretty. We know pretty early what we think the best approach is. Yeah. And, you know, materials might change and the engineering solution might change, but fundamentally the the idea is, is there.
1: But I, I just want to go down, yeah. back to the social media um, question for a second. Like, I guess, like, my intuition is, or well, my feeling is that if you interact too much with social media and also magazines and things like that, you, you, you do learn a lot. But you also, within that process, you lose the self through that and become a filter for other people's ideas so then you start
0: subconsciously yeah yeah. trying to then you start Mm. looking at other people's work yeah that's it
1: and it could just be me or us like just being very weak you know and being very susceptible to that like that could that could 100% be it um but like, do
0: you do you look at other
1: buildings then,
0: like buildings on, in yeah, real life? You, yeah, you yeah. will look at buildings yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think
1: then there's there's something. Well, there's something three dimensional about that, obviously, um, and something tactile. And but I,
2: all the other senses come into it. Like yeah, you
1: can't.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like when you're when 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 I travel, I generally want to go to cities and I want to experience like other other great cities and yeah. other great spaces and. If someone drew the Sydney Opera House for you, you just wouldn't get it. Yeah. But when you're in it and when you're there, like, it's it's a completely different thing. I mean, yeah.
0: I think at the end of the day, it was one of the stories I suggested for a magazine. You know, I, I don't think there's anything really original out there. I think it's just the way you interpret it in a different context and a different manner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I, you true. know, architecture yeah. isn't, it's not like science. We're not trying to create something that's never been done before. No. Yeah.
1: And it's not the image either. And people fantasize, fantasize,
0: fantasize, fantasize that there's it something it's so new that we've never seen it before. But yeah. nothing's really new, mm. is it? No, no, no.
1: I mean, no, no. I, um, I was
0: in
2: a campus building not very far from here when I was told that first year <laughs> uni oh, designer's dead. It wasn't me, like, no, no, but, but it's the same <laughs> idea that it's all been done before. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. And and like I, I guess the like the emphasis on the image. Which is, you know, that's an understandable thing, but it—I feel it devalues architecture, and it—and through focusing on that and focusing on that as the outcome, you lose something else. And maybe, I uh, maybe we're wrong. Like we're not um, the purveyors of truth or anything, but mm. that, this is our—the our, way we choose to interact with the field it, is not through it, the image. It's through, yeah. The, and I think
2: it's a hint, probably, to what we value um, through our own work, and that is like actually being able to do it yeah because you can you can make a beautiful image but it doesn't necessarily make for an easy building to put together or one that's great to be in yeah and they're the things probably we we sort of try and focus more on like actually how do you build it and Mm. what's it like to be inside yeah well
0: talking of being inside you've just you're about to complete a beach house at flinders Mm. and you know from the outside it looks like a standard house yeah well it's not Mm. because it's quite beautiful but and quite different but inside you were telling me that the heights of the ceilings change as you walk through the house and it goes as low as two meters in part
1: Is yeah well actually the floor the level of the floor plate changes so you actually you walk in on ground level and then as you circulate around a square plan you gain 600 mil at each room on each corner so the ceiling slowly gets closer and closer and your perspective of a of the central courtyard from each of those corner positions changes so one as you enter you're at grade with the courtyard and looking up into the canopy and by the time you're in the lounge room which i call the cubby you're looking you're quite tight yeah quite tight and you're actually in the canopy of the tree and looking across to the other rooms and the the kind of um uh, it was a house designed for two architects who are about to retire. And through conversations with them, um, it became evident to us that they needed a space that um, wasn't just an open plan, kind of beautiful pavilion. They, needed, they could do that
0: themselves, really. Exactly.
1: Mm. They needed pockets to be themselves. Like, there's this idea of the self when you retire. You know, you've gone from... You know, having a kind of busy work schedule and being independent, and then you retire to the coast. And if you're retiring to a like a large open plan dwelling, like where's where where is the boundary between you and your partner? Where is the self? Where is the where is the space for the self within that area? So we very deliberately split the program up, and then have separated each of the volumes through landscape. So you, you're aware of the other person in the residence, but it's always through the veil of landscape. And it gives you, I guess, yeah, space to kind of um, be, but also be conscious of, of And I else, suppose the different
0: Williams. scales actually makes the landscape look quite different. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very, very different. different.
2: And you get this kind of changing perspective of light as well, mm. because as, as you walk in, you're effectively facing west to the sort of west sort of southwest. And by the time you loop around, you're looking sort of like north, northeast, mm. and... So even though the you know the cubby is yeah. super compact, it has the northern aspect. So yeah. it's it's like just flooded with light. Yeah. Um, sounds and, like
0: a good place my cat would enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <that's> and it. <laughs> it's it's
2: super snug. Like it's going to be the lounge room. It's going to yeah. be super cozy. Uh,
0: Again, I suppose it's mm. also a different way of looking at things because generally, what happens? You enter a house, the corridor is quite compressed. Mm. that's the entry and then you go into this big heroic living room where the ceilings are four metres in height and you go wow Yeah. Yeah. so this way it's actually inverting the process and saying well look you can actually have a different type of experience
1: yeah Mm. yeah. and we've worked closely with open work um, landscape architects on the hortus on the courtyard Um, so over time over the next three or four years that were really developing to something quite lush and beautiful Um, and then because each of the spaces is so focused on that um, that uh, this idea of time within that building will be something quite interesting as well.
0: Mm. How do you share your time? You've got an office in Hobart, mm. doing a number of projects, and also in Melbourne. How do you do? You kind of do you have separate partners in each, and or you get involved in we, projects both across yeah. both
2: states? So that's one of the things that's probably fairly unique about the way we work. In that, rather than have you know, project architects and everyone has a, you know, pile of projects they manage. We, we literally work over the top of each other on everything, yeah. which is uh, sometimes hard because it, it adds this communication overhead that mm. we don't necessarily deal with well. Um, but it does mean that all of our strengths get played through every single project mm. because, you know, having someone who's a strong designer but then also a strong documenter or can execute something on site, it's, that's just a really rare skill set. And to try and find that, you know, universally amongst all our staff, that's it, it's impossible. Mm. So being able to, like, each of us kind of plug in, like, where we, where we best fit and where we can best add value yeah. helps the group. And then it also sort of helps our projects. So, yeah, we, we do just work on everything. Um, and yeah. we rely pretty heavily on FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the Hobart
1: Studio is... Uh, Doc, they do a lot of the documentation yeah. um, uh, and uh, also a fair bit of the site management. And it's it's interesting because, like, we're very different personalities um, and it gives Josh, the director in Hobart, a space to be himself and to, like, have his own time. And I, I feel like, although the communication is very difficult, that in itself is yeah, <laughs> worth <yeah>. it, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Um,
0: Look, yeah. um, Thank you so much for coming on the program today. Um, I'll be keenly watching your work Mm. and want to see as much as possible. And um, I think, look, that house did make a big impression, the sawmill house. Mm. But I think the projects you're working on at the moment, uh, when they're finished, people really start saying, well, look, they're pretty exceptional. So, Mm. um, yeah. Thank you. Don't look at... Keep not looking at magazines. <laughs> Don't read my stories. <laughs> we do, do read magazines. They're just not architectural. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for coming on the program. You've been listening to Chris Gilbert and John Caitler from Archia and Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.